Activity and interest around mergers and acquisitions has never been greater, but what are the pitfalls and how can they be avoided? Hello everyone and welcome to the Risk Acumen podcast, which offers thoughtful insight around risk management. 2021 was the biggest year ever for the global mergers and acquisitions market. And while this was undoubtedly fueled by the pandemic, things like digital transformation and readily available funding have also been pushing the agenda. This year in the UK, two thirds of chief executives say they will be looking to consolidate in some way. However, none of this is without risk. And so today I'm joined by Philip Metham a director at Meridian Corporate Finance, who's going to talk us through what some of the risks are and how they can be managed. Hi, Phil. How are you? Hi, Johnny. Really well, thank you. Great to be here. So before we get started, give me a bit of background about what you do, Phil, and in, in your involvement in mergers and acquisitions and succession planning too, of course. Yeah, of course. So um, my job is uh, kind of like being a fancy estate agent. So we're the guys that business owners come to when they're getting to the point in their lives and in their careers where they want to start thinking about how they wind down uh, the working aspects of their work-life balance and look at putting in exactly, as you said, plans around succession and how do you get that continuity of the business. So we typically look at it in three ways. There's obviously external investment um, and we do our own fair share of kind of investing and helping people structure investments there's obviously the the kind of straight sale and then the other piece we look at is the kind of gray area in the middle around management buyouts bringing in additional resource and bolstering that company structure so often it's it's, it's what do we what do we do with our business yeah what can, what, what can we do Absolutely. as a change yeah yeah now I mentioned at the beginning, of course, that there's a lot of activity around mergers and acquisitions right now, and there are various things fueling this, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the UK market has historically always been an attractive market for investment. You know, even post-Brexit, it's still viewed as the gateway to Europe. So we do see a lot of external investment, mostly, again, historically, unsurprisingly, from North America, but increasingly from uh, APAC and other areas where they're looking for a English language foothold into Europe. Uh, yeah. There's also other drivers. You know, the, the low interest rate economy has been brilliant for investment into companies in the sense that canny investors and entrepreneurs looking to make their money sweat. Uh, investing in equity and backing businesses has been alongside property, one of the two areas that really can generate some meaningful returns. So it's been a very, very healthy environment for a number of years now. Yeah. And in many ways, that's continuing, despite the fact that the interest rates are, are increasing compared to the inflationary rate. <laughs> There's yeah, still a to be made, isn't there? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, you know, in a roundabout way, it me- makes people really think about what they're doing with the cash that they may hold. Um, you know, not doing something now has an actual penalty to it with inflation. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly not lessening off. And I think... There were concerns around kind of the impact post-COVID and post-Brexit, but today we're certainly not seeing any of that translating into lower deal volumes or different pricing. When, when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, what, what, what are the big differences between you know large corporations uh, going through that process and, and SMEs? Or, or, or are there any real differences? Or are they very similar? 
at a high level, um, you know, the, the structures and the processes in terms of needing to get lawyers involved and the approach you take looking at accounts are the same. Inevitably, the difference is when you're dealing with owner-managed businesses, you're dealing with owner-managed issues. Um, so, you know, the succession planning, what do people want to see? What's the legacy that they want to leave behind? Family wealth planning, tax planning increasingly. All of those things come into play, which you don't see with large corporates to the same extent. There's a much greater emotional aspect and much less of a pure spreadsheets approach. Um, and certainly that's kind of the area where as, a, as an individual advising them, you're, you're trying to quantify qualitative risks, you know, the, the kind of feel good factor. Um, and I think that's certainly one of the challenges we see day to day in our job is that emotional aspect of the management process. Yeah, because they're letting something go that's been a fundamental part of their life. It's not just a business. Absolutely. Um, give me a sense, Phil, of how well in your experience, mergers, acquisitions, and any other kind of succession are planned for by small, medium-sized businesses? I, I think broad brush, unfortunately, particularly the owner-managed business space, there is an aspect of kind of the Peter Pan mentality, which is when things are going well, um, you know, a bit like life insurance, you know, people never really think about life insurance when things are going well, generally. Yeah. But certainly when stuff starts going downhill, you start wondering why you hadn't thought about these kind of things earlier. Unfortunately, I would say two thirds of our clients generally coming to us for one of the kind of three D's of divorce, disease and death, you know, something that triggers them to have to look at, I need to do something, I can't carry on with the status quo. It's part of what we do, um, but it certainly adds a you know a time pressure that ideally you wouldn't want. And I think it's you know it's the same as selling a house. You don't ever want to be a desperate seller. Um, so you know one of the things we're very very keen to try and do is get involved with companies and get involved with business owners fairly early on. Um, and we do a lot of work with the wealth banks. We're you know we're a panel advisor for Coots, where we spend a lot of time with people five to ten years in advance, talking them through what they're looking for. And again, having that time frame and having that preparation, you don't always have it, but when you do, it's a lot easier to deal with all of these qualitative issues because you've got time to tee them up and build them into your plan rather than just dealing with them as a, as a last minute exercise. And of course, those things uh, that need to be included in the, in the plan as always are the, are the risks as well. Um, so what, what do you see as the, as the key risks in this kind of situation, Phil? Yeah, I mean, so risk management for us, you know, there's, the most important thing um, for us is always around deliverability. So it's all well and good going out and getting, you know, a huge offer of a massive valuation on a company. But ultimately, if you can't then deliver that through to completion, it's no use to anyone. There are three or four really, really common issues, which, you know, if you ask any advisor, accountant or lawyer, they're just perennial problems that crop up on pretty much every transaction. And those are people, property and pensions. You know that they're going to be a feature of every business, but there are so many different aspects and there's so many different ways of dealing with them. They almost always have a, a little bit of a curveball at some point in the process. A huge amount of what we do is trying to deal with that up front. Um, and again, this is where the preparation piece is, is really, really useful. Because if you can get in there early and look at, okay, you've got property sat within the company that actually is a personal property, let's extract that. You've got a a pensions issue or something that we can deal with, but it's going to take a year to unwind. 
or you've got some really difficult staff or staff that aren't motivated enough, you know, we can, we can solve all of that. Um, you know, anything is solvable with time and money, but it's a lot easier to do outside of the pressure of a sale process and with the flexibility around doing what's right for you and the business rather than doing what an acquirer or someone who's looking at the business wants to see at that specific moment. So it's, you know, generally it's the same problems. Um, every business is different, obviously, but um, there's certainly ones that are easily addressed if you deal with them in advance. Yeah, and I would imagine that with those three Ps that people want connects most with the emotion that you talked about as well earlier, because you're dealing with other people's lives who are connected with the business as well, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's inevitably our job is to go and get shareholders maximum value. Um, and that's what we're incentivized to do. And, you know, that is a hugely important part of our job. But that is linked into managing all the other stakeholders because, Actually, it's very hard to sell a business and get maximum value if you've got really unhappy staff. Um, likewise, if you've got issues around property and pensions and various other aspects, it all comes back to the deliverability of the transaction as well as the value. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's inevitably a really, really important part is the whole stakeholder management. And that goes you know, right through to your customers, your suppliers, your your partners elsewhere in the industry and how do you communicate it and what's going to happen afterwards. It's, it's all part of, you know, the proper process management that you'd ideally put in place. And you mentioned one of life's inevitables earlier when you used the word death. <laughs> There's also yeah. the other one, which is tax. <laughs> of Absolutely. Course, yeah. To consider which, which will always come into come into this and uh, and 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 there's a major risk because it, it it always throws up unexpected elements doesn't it in terms of planning and understanding how that all flows through tax is an interesting one because you have it's it's often a problem um in the sense that you know as you're going through people obviously want to scrutinize historic tax looking at what you've paid and are there any issues and all those kind of things generally you know most businesses tend to play things with a pretty straight bat where you tend to find things get a bit more complex is, you know, if you've got overseas shareholders, um, maybe you've got some overseas trading, inevitably you can you can have wrinkles there that need explaining. So we spend a lot of time doing that. But then ultimately, for the average owner-manager, there's the more personal aspect around if you're going to get some value and you're going to have to pay tax, how is that tax structured? What do you have to do? So we take the approach of sticking to what we're really good at and bringing in experts elsewhere. Um, so we work with best in the market in tax and in legal services to make sure that the client gets the best possible advice. Again, addressing that early on is a better approach because then we can approach the market with a preferred route, a preferred outcome that we can then go and get the best possible offers for rather than asking acquirers to look at it. And the other thing, you know, is look, looking at all of these risks and where appropriate, it might be we can't do anything to address the risk. I mean, death, death is the classic one. Uh, you know, nobody out there can stop it happening. But yeah. what you can do is you can build resilience. Um, you know, and there's plenty of you know life insurance providers and other insurances for other aspects of the business where you can look at putting stuff in place to mitigate those worst case scenarios. And all of that is reducing risk for a buyer. So from our perspective, selling a business, the more you can reduce that risk, the more you can negotiate a, a good price and a good structure because the downsides have been limited. Okay, so it's clear there's a lot 
can go wrong. It's also clear that, you know, controlling and, and mitigating the risks there largely comes from the, the planning. What, what other measures really need to be on the checklist? I mean, you've alluded to one already there with insurance, but there's more than just the life insurance side of things, isn't there? There's many ways in which you can, uh, you can transfer the risk or you can, uh, you can deal with it in another way. Yeah. I mean, so when an acquirer is looking at, at a business, they're obviously looking at all the areas where stuff could go wrong. We're obviously selling them a dream, um, trying to you know upsell them all the benefits. But inevitably, someone like me with a spreadsheet on the other side is looking at what, where are the ways this could go wrong. And there's a couple of obvious ones. I mean, particularly with owner managed businesses, um, you know, again, if you compare it to a corporate, inevitably they are not going to have the same level of processes and controls and you know security measures and other aspects. You tend to find much more of a kind of entrepreneurial approach to doing business um, right down from you know the owners to the staff members who are probably given a bit more authority and autonomy than they might be in a large corporate so a lot of what we do is kind of looking at that early on and again just identifying areas where there's going to be an issue do you have backups of all of your emails to clients so that we can you know start at least showing them we've got data that they would want a proper crm platform or whatever it happens to be but then there's also just looking at the staffing piece generally. And um, it's it's always amazing how many people have employment agreements that are completely outdated because they've been there for 10, 20 years. They've been a really good employee. They've never caused any trouble. And it's one of those things that goes in a drawer. So, you know, looking at leases, looking at employment agreements, looking at your supplier contracts, all of these things, again, a bit of prep ahead of time, identify any problems where there might be some and sort them out. But also smoothing the way forward, you know, letting your bank manager, letting your company accountant know, making sure they're up to speed on what you're planning. Because again, you know, what you don't want is surprises and finding out someone's taken a month off to go and tour around, you know, South America just when you need them to be signing off accounts. So it's all of these bits and pieces, which again, it's, you know, irrelevant of the industry. Project management is inevitably a huge part of it. And none of it individually is rocket science but it's just making sure you put the right pieces in place at the right time and trying to keep people unstressed, undistracted from what they have to do day to day, which is running the business, keeping customers happy, keeping staff happy. You know, we do this professionally. We'll help you with it. We can guide you through it and ultimately try and minimize that disruption for everybody involved. I'm interested to know whether you would go as far to look culturally at the, you know, the organization that, that let's say was taken over or, or was was making the acquisition to make sure there was a good fit and a good match or is that does that kind of go beyond your remit it's certainly a, a risk that i could see would would need to be looked at and would need to be assessed because obviously that's where longer term failures could 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 come from absolutely i mean i so i'm acting for a client currently and we're acquiring a a small regional player in their market and the cultural fit is hugely important because people buy people. So if you're buying, you know, in this case, we're buying a sales organization. Um, they've been very, very successful. But part of the reason they've been successful is because of the way they approach customers. So as an acquirer, what you want to make sure is that those customers aren't going to be, all be leaving in the first year because you have a fundamentally different approach, which isn't going to go down well. Yeah. And then taking it a step backwards, you need to do the same with the staff. 
Um, because any business you buy, you're not just buying numbers on a spreadsheet, you're buying people, you're buying skills, you're buying resource, you're buying relationships. And the integration side of these processes from, from an acquirer perspective is hugely important. Because when the sellers are off, you know, on a, on a beach, hopefully drinking pina coladas and enjoying their, their well-earned money, <laughs> you know, so, someone's got to pick up the pieces. So, yeah, a huge amount of the process is getting that relationship, um, you know, making sure that everybody has a warm, fuzzy feeling with what's going to happen, that you've got a really clear strategy. Here's what's going to happen on day one. Here's what's going to happen in 30 days, 90 days, the first year, you know, reassuring people because... If you go on Google and you say, my company's being sold, the first thing that comes up are horror stories. And as I say, in reality, most of the time you're buying a business, you want the people, you want the talent, you want the continuity. So that kind of, again, stakeholder management and messaging, you know, and how you can make people feel really valued, hugely important for the retention of the value of what you're buying. And again, when you're selling, really easy to overlook because again, hopefully you're you know, long gone with your money by that point. But um, it, it, when you're looking at the legacy point, yeah. you know, one of my clients said, I need to be able to bump into one of my employees in the high street and not feel like I've sold them down the river. Um, and I think for the owner manager, you know, where they've built the business, they've hired the people, they've worked them for years. It can't be under, underestimated how important that is to people. Yeah. And that runs back to the emotional aspect that you, that you spoke of. Absolutely. Yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, Phil, that we need to, any other key key risks that we have overlooked? Um, I think the other big risk, is, which nobody ever really talks about, and it's, it's, it's something inevitably advisors like I can often brush over, is what's next for the seller. You know, it's like the lottery winner. Everybody loves the idea of having loads of money in the bank account, but what's your drive? What's your motivation? What's your interest when you know, your interest for the last 30 years has been running and growing a company. It can be a real shock. Um, and again, you know, we, we work really closely with wealth managers, but we also work really closely with a lot of our old clients because generally they have a huge amount of experience and a huge amount of expertise, which actually are pretty rare and pretty valuable as a commodity. And almost always within three to six months, they've kind of done the sitting on the beach um, and unless they had something else lined up, you know, another interest or as I say, obviously different if they're retiring for an unfortunate reason around, you know, disease or, or just simply retiring. It's really important just to look at how that transition happens. We often find people are sticking around and doing a handover for, you know, six to 12 months, but usually not sticking around with a permanent role at the company uh, if they've sold it. So it's just something that often gets overlooked, but again, is, is a hugely important part for the individual and the emotional part of all of this, which is you're handing over your baby. You've built something for a long time. Have a little think about what's next. What's the ultimate objective from all of this as a, as a person rather than as a business owner? Yeah, it's a really, really important point. It's a case of understanding the why it is that you, you, you've had this business for that for that time and uh, how you, you're still going to meet that need in essence, well, beyond you moving on from, from that business. Absolutely. And uh, finally, Phil, who, who on the outside should, should you always involve? Uh, you know, you've mentioned lawyers and so on. I mean, mm. with, with any merger or acquisition and, and also 
are there any good sources of information out there, perhaps stuff online that people can can tap into in these situations as well? Yeah, so I think um, there's kind of three key people that you should have involved in any deal. So the, the first one is you will always need really good lawyers. Um, you know, the, the lawyers are there and you always hope that the documentation goes in a drawer and never has to be looked at again. But they're there as your insurance policy. That That is the ultimate risk management is they document everything, but they also document all the what ifs. So having not just a good lawyer, but a lawyer who does this day in, day out, you know, they're dealing with company sales. They know all the issues and they can look at things, not just from a technical legal perspective, but from a commercial point of view of what is normal, what's acceptable, you know, what's what's really meaningful in terms of risk, that is, you know, hugely valuable. Um, and it's something, you know, we spend a lot of time with clients, again, finding not only where do you find that balance of commercial and technical skill, but you're going to be going through some really long evenings and stressful times. Most people only sell the business once, so it needs to be someone that you can get on with and, and trust. The other one is tax advice. Um, and again, that can that can be a fairly simple role or it can be really complex depending what your business and your personal situation is. That's hugely useful. Obviously, you know, finding someone who does what we do, um, having someone that, again, you're going to be spending six months at least probably, um, you know, talking to us, going through this process. You've got to not only have someone you trust in terms of their ability and skill set, but someone that, you, you know, when they ring you up on a Saturday morning, you're not thinking, oh, my God, I really, really don't want to talk to these people again. Um, so that's hugely important. And, th- and then the final one is the accountant. Um, so whether that's your internal accountant within your business, if you've got a finance director or your external accountant, if you use external accountancy, you know, having the right team around you who can support you as a business owner through what will be a, a very stressful additional workload that inevitably is going to fall on your plate is hugely important. There's a lot of resources out there. There's lots of people who do what we do. There's lots of lawyers, there's lots of accountants. Again, it, it should always come down to track record. I think in the UK, trade sales, only about 40 to 50% of them actually complete. And it's almost always because of the problems we've discussed earlier. So finding someone that you know has that track record of working through those problems, helping business owners get the outcome that they're really looking for, which is a successful sale uh, and money in the bank account, you know that's the most important thing. Um, and meet lots of people. Uh, because it, it is a personal thing. You need you need to buy into people individually. Excellent, Phil. Fascinating stuff. And and the subject, I, I must admit, I didn't know a great deal about ahead of our conversation. So many, many thanks for your insight. No problem. Absolute pleasure. And and thanks also for the most depressing framework I've ever come across. The three, <laughs> the three Ds of disease, what was it? Disease, divorce, yeah, and death. Disease death. and divorce. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget those. Yeah. But, but oh, must always be kept in mind. So <laughs> brilliant stuff. But yeah, thanks very much again, Phil. Really, really appreciated all of that. No problem. Thanks, Johnny. Bye-bye. And that's all we have time for, for this episode of the Risk Acumen podcast. If you have any questions or comments around the topic we've discussed today or any of our other risk-related content, please head to our LinkedIn page. You can find a link at riskacumen.co.uk. Thanks everyone for listening in and until the next time, goodbye for now.